I'm Dr. Amalia Gonyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today is a familiar voice who first came on the show eight years ago, Yvonne Chakachaka, who most of us associate with her prolific music career, which spans over three decades. Her hit records have earned numerous awards, be it Samas, Choras, and she's performed across the globe with other megastar musicians like Bono, Stevie Wonder, Alicia Keys, Aretha Franklin, Angelique Kidjo, Annie Lennox, Usandor, Queen, and Johnny Clegg. And whilst her music has entertained millions, her humanitarian efforts campaigning for causes that affect millions of people, some of which include being chosen by Nelson Mandela as the first ambassador of his 4664 campaign, serving as an ambassador for the Nelson Mandela Children's Fund, becoming a goodwill ambassador for the Global Rollback Malaria Partnership and UNICEF Goodwill Ambassador for Malaria, she has also been awarded the Order of Ikamanga in silver for her contribution to the field of music and social cohesion. Welcome to the show. Wow. Thank you, Dr. Amelia. At some point, I thought, who is she talking about? <laughs> but thank you very much to you and your listeners. You have touched people in so many ways. Today, I'd, I'd like to revisit some of our previous conversation and also tap into your journey since we last met. So to begin with, from an early age, you realized that you could utilize your talents to fight inequalities and injustices, which are, are reflected in some of your, your hit songs, I Cry for Freedom and Motherland. And I'd like to share with listeners that Nelson Mandela wrote to you when he was in prison, describing how your music sustained him. And you did something very unique with that note. Please, can you tell us more about that period, in particular those songs, and how you felt when you received that letter and what you did afterwards? Well, it was... Um... Quite nostalgic, really. A friend of mine, Sipo Hot Six Mabuse, called me. There were no cell phones at the time on my mother's landline to say, Winnie Mandela would like to see you. And I freaked out because at the time you thought, okay, this is a political person, you know, what have I done? So I obliged and I went. And it was just a note for that letter, you know, coming from your father's, the note said. But because I was very scared that um, who am I to even get this note? I took it and I chewed it. I tore the thing and I chewed it because my mother was not very happy. Said, you know what, the special branches, if they come here and they arrest us, and really, why are you getting notes like this? Are you, are you a comrade? You know, how, how older people were. Uh, looking back today, I wish if I had kept it, I really would have auctioned it for a lot of money. But that really humbled me that a person like that, I'm sure he did that to lots of other people. And Winnie Mandela for me was the epitome of love, of caring, of being there for ordinary people like us. Because whether we'd gone to shows, whether it was at different venues, you know, Winnie Mandela supported us. 
She supported us and she always insisted that sing songs that are provocative, that will get these people to know what is happening. She did so much and she unleashed that potential in us to be able to know that when you are given a platform, use it correctly. That's the thing about you in particular is the way that you utilize your platform, the way that you use your, your voice and lyrics as instruments. Music's always been this huge inspiration to people, but it's the words behind that. It's the story to tell. What influences your songwriting and creativity? You know, Doc, growing up in Soweto during apartheid, I think all my age groups, all my peers uh, know, and then they knew as well, it wasn't very easy. We were non-entities. We didn't vote. We didn't even know who our ministers were at the time, whether it was Peg Porter or it was Milan. We didn't know them because we were not part of the system. We were just not counted. But we continued with our lives. So when you were given a chance or a platform, I guess each and every one of us were conscientized because we knew that the platform was not leveled for all of us. So when you are given this platform, what do you do? You conscientize people, you tell the stories, you talk about the atrocities that are happening in our environment and where we were living. I mean, I know so many people who went to school and were fed by money from brewing, you know, whether it was brewing umkomboti, where police would come and spill that drink ordinary people were trying to make the living out of. So it was total abuse. We had to protect each other. I remember in 1976, I was 10 years old, when the riots started, my elder sister, who's three years older than me, they were going out there and toying and having stones and, uh, and shields and nothing else. And these young boys were actually shooting with live ammunition. We did not even know what tear gas was. And for them, we were like just stupid people. They were throwing the tear gas. We didn't know what it was. So we would run to it to want to see what is the smoke. And it will gas us. We'll start coughing. We'll start wetting ourselves. These young boys who were in these hippos, you know, these uh, armed cars, would really laugh. So we have such a history to tell. So when you look back into those things and you've been in that situation, what a pleasure, because now you've got the story to tell, whether in an art form, whether drawing a sculpture, whether singing it, whether acting it or using it in a theater form. So there were so many things that gave us an ammunition to be able to talk about them or sing about these issues. When you think about this, gosh, more than 46 years ago, which in the space of history is a relatively short time frame, so much has happened to be transformative. Thinking back to that period and comparing it to today, do you feel that South Africa is in a place that you could have imagined it to be in? You know, I don't think... We ever thought we will have freedom in our lifetime. But we knew that so many people were incarcerated. Other people were killed 
and other people left the country to go and fight for this freedom. So there's so many people who were involved and so many organizations and so many countries that were really involved in wanting to see South Africa being a home for all those who lived in it. And uh, fast forward, so much had gone into it. And thank you to all those who supported this whole endeavor. And today, people at least, they live anywhere. People are able to do the things that they were prevented from doing. I remember as a 10-year-old going to school at Unified train station, a train left me because I was at the first class station where only white people were supposed to be. And the guy probably could even see these three girls that they were late going to school. And we just thought, if we are at the platform, they will let us in. But because we were at the wrong platform for white people only, they shut the train and they left. So it's all those things that really come to my mind. But today, we're walking freely. What has changed is that so much now is happening. Freedom came with so many things. There's gender-based violence, there's intolerance, you know, the intolerance of your LGBTQI, there's um, rape of women, killings of women, maiming of women. So to me, those are those things. And even though we say we are free, there's still so many people who have no roofs of their heads, who still live in squalor. And so those are the things that are really, really happening. And you ask yourself, is this correct? Thinking about some of those points that you mentioned, gender-based violence, poverty, intolerance, a lot of those components affect women in particular. Most of them, most of them. You know, I am a strong believer that every woman needs a man and every man needs a woman. But women go through so much. Some are trapped in their own spaces, in their own homes. A woman in South Africa cannot walk. Just take a walk and be free without being harassed, without being raped, without being held up. A woman is not safe in their own homes. And you then ask yourself, what has changed? What has gone wrong into the society, particularly we African people? We come from so far. We looked out for one another. We cared for one another. We were there for one another. But all of a sudden, things have really changed. You can't even leave your daughter or even your son with an uncle or with a neighbor because you don't know if the child would be sodomized, would be abused, would be raped or killed and be buried in a shallow grave. So these are just the social ills that are there today. And you ask yourself, what has gone wrong? And what do we need to do to go back to the drawing board to fix all the ills that are there? And I would imagine with someone like you in particular, being a mom to four boys, I know that they're grown up now, but these are the realities and the responsibilities that come with motherhood of socialization and teaching what's right and what's wrong. You know, I constantly say, I don't think it's just easy being a mother, whether you're a mother to a daughter or you're a mother to a boy child. 
it becomes very difficult to be a mother of a boy because you can say, I'm giving all these teachings to this particular child and you don't know what they will turn out to be. Even a girl, you can instill good morals in them and they can decide we want to be whatever we want to be. So I think it's for us as the society, because, you know, things are fast growing today and our children aspire to be different things, what they see, what they want to be, what they wish for. And these things sometimes get them into trouble. Hi, I'm Zonke Digana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. We have been talking to award-winning singer, composer and humanitarian, Miss Yvonne Chakachaka. At the moment, we, we're talking about gender-based violence. We're talking about gender-related issues. And you also brought into the conversation aspects of social media, which years ago, people didn't have to contend with. With us being a gender-based program, we often look at issues that affect women, especially young women. And we know that there's been a number of different social movements like Me Too, Time's Up, publicizing sexual harassment. Unfortunately, many women in the entertainment sector in particular confess to being victims of harassment. What do you think about these campaigns in terms of being able to transition and change thinking and make a difference? You know, Dr. Amelia, I think um, these campaigns are very good. They have to be there. There is a reason for them to be there. Because sometimes you sit there as a woman and think, I'm not alone. It did happen to her. At least she's coming out. I can't sit there and die inside. At least somebody is coming out. So I think these campaigns are very important. And it's imperative that we need to listen to those who come out and say, it did happen to me. And so with these campaigns, what happens next? Are people being socialized in a correct way? Are people being conscientized? Are people being made aware of other nitty-gritties to look at or to look out for, for not falling into the trap of being abused? Because sometimes you get abused and you're in that situation, you're not even aware of it. So I'm very, very happy with all those men and women, because you know, there are men who are very good and who advocate for women and who support women's issues. And those women who stand out there and come out, I'm one of those people who constantly say, let us not say men are trash because we're playing into their hands. Because when we say that, then they think I've got nothing to lose and they end up being that trash. Let us call them when they do trashy stuff to say this will not be accepted. But we want you to know that a woman was taken out of a man's rib to be loved, to be protected, and not to be seen as an object of desire, but to be seen as a flower. You're right. We cannot tar everybody with, with the same brush because there are good people out there. 
And unfortunately, it's the negative side of the things that, that we hear more often than not. Staying for a moment with the entertainment industry, because that really is, is one of your, your core sectors. How do you feel as a woman in the music industry in terms of equal opportunities? You know, the music industry has totally transformed from where I come from and from where those that I look up to, things have really changed. You've had real superstars like Dolly Ratebe, Miriam Makeba, Abigail Gubega, uh, Le Tambulu, who would sing in venues which were perceived to be for white people. And when police were coming to raid, these people would have to run to the kitchen and wash dishes and pretend to be maids. So when I think of those things and just visualize them, it makes me very angry. But on the other hand, it makes me say, you persevered when it was very hard and uh, you've opened the path for us. We are able to perform in different venues without being harassed. These are the people I want to pay the tribute to because they did it for the love of it. They did it to cultivate and to preserve the culture, you know, the creative culture. And I have a lot of respect for artists who came long before us. Things have changed now. For the better, the social media, people can be seen anywhere in the world, which were things we did not have. You know, we only had radio and television and newspapers to rely on to expose your art, to expose your works. But now things have really changed. And I'm, I'm really, really happy. But sometimes it becomes a huge problem when you hear even these younger artists to say, you know, a producer or a promoter is asking for favors. These are the things that really make me upset because we cannot afford to exploit young people who want to be in this industry. Let them be here out of merit because they've got the talent, because they are ready to learn. They are ready to burst their bubble and be whatever they want to be. And so I urge whoever, whether it's a woman promoter or a woman or a man promoter, never take anybody for granted and do not expose them in the funny shenanigans for them to be up there. So when I do all my classes or, you know, doing my public speaking with young people, I always say to them, have your feet firm on the ground and stand your ground as well and say to whoever, I'm here because I think I've got what it takes and I don't need any favors. And um, no one will make will do you favors because you'll stand firm and do what you're here for. So it, it, it becomes very, very sad because, you know, other people just think, oh, it's okay, let me do it because I need this job. I need to be there. I need this publicity. I don't think it's correct. Mm -hmm. People use their spaces to exploit others. And that should not be allowed, not at all. Very wise words. And I think those traverse every industry. We were talking offline earlier about the, the creative dynamic and let's say the remuneration factor in the creative space. I know that there has been some contention in terms of bills that are pending uh, from the copyrights bill to the, the performers bill. Can you just elaborate on that and what that means to you in particular? 
You know, it's actually very sad that up to today, we're still really fighting for the copyrights uh, bill. People cannot have their works published out there and get exploited. So in South Africa, we know that the copyrights bill apparently was tagged incorrectly. So it's, it needs to be tagged correctly. So I want to ask all the powers that be, obviously from the president's office, to make sure that that is done. Because there's a difference between the copyrights bill and the performers bill. People who are in the performance spaces have to be looked well after as well, because it's sometimes very sad that people who are in the creative industry are taken as poor cousins. It's like we don't generate any funds into the country, whereas this is an industry that generates a lot of money. So for younger artists, sometimes it becomes very difficult to even say to them, there is longevity there. Whether a person is a writer or an actor or a musician or a person who does sculptures, it becomes very difficult because it's like this is the industry that is forgotten. So if all the bills can be put in place and the copyright is done correctly, I think our people will see the need to be part of this big creative industry. CSAC, which is a, an organization that looks after the composers and all the creative people, we want to make sure that people's works are exposed out there, but as the vice president of CSAC, I always said, we need to make sure that um, we are credited for what we've worked for and what we have done. So the exposure that needs to be there needs to be done correctly. People should be correctly remunerated. We need proper exposure. But I think the most important for me, it should be being remunerated correctly. So it's all those things, fair pay, fair play, and fair share in the market as well. And once people can recognize the, let's say that the tangible benefits from a um, remuneration perspective and really be able to quantify, then there's a higher appreciation because unfortunately people do still have this prevailing attitude of they judge worth according to the price tag that's attached to it. It's very true. I think even today, people will pay a lot of money to go and watch a classical event because there's an orchestra and they would pay that 500 rands, for example, for a ticket. And you then say there's a show for Black Mambazo or Mahotela Queens or Brenda Farsi or Yvonne. People are happy to pay a hundred rents or something like that. But obviously there's different genres of music, but uh, we are all in this creative space. And if there's some kind of appreciation as well, and the powers that be, knowing that the bills are in the right space, even those people, you know, who are the either actors or musicians, that will know the importance of paying for their vet, paying for their taxes as well, and just, you know, proper governance for their part of work. Now, people don't see the need of paying taxes. People don't need their contributing. And it becomes a vicious cycle. So there's a lot of education that needs to be done around that.
you were very prominent in educating people and not just in terms of people in the entertainment industry, but thinking more towards some of your humanitarian efforts, particularly in the malaria space. Please, can you share with us how you've used your platform to be able to amplify the voices of the voiceless and contribute to society within the African context on issues like malaria? You know, I was very lucky to have started singing in 1985. And by 1986, 87, I was traveling to places like Zimbabwe, Malawi, Zambia, Kenya. And my popularity through Africa just grew. And I never took that for granted. For me, it was like, these are the people who make me who I am. And how do I then contribute as well. So obviously, I think it is true that you never thought it could be until it happens to you. Uh, I think as a young performer, I was happy just to travel and be on stage and end that salary, you know, and having people wanting autographs. But as I grew and understood and saw what was happening in different countries as I was traveling, I thought there is a need to do something. You know, as I said, when people give you a platform to perform, you need to see the need to serve as well. So I would do small things here and there. In in Uganda, there was a home for HIV people. I'd go and visit, you know, and donate a little bit of money. When I went to Zimbabwe, there was a place, a home for abandoned children called Chirinyazo. I went there and I donated and did an auction just to make sure that those people have got something. And I've always seen a need to, when I traveled to every country, I wanted to know from whoever brought me to say, okay, is there a home where one can go and visit or donate? And sometimes it was not monetary, but to go and say to the people, I see your plight. I understand how you feel but I know that you are all human, just like me. And I've just come to spend the day with you. So um, in 2005, I traveled to Gabon with my band. And uh, little did I know that one of my musicians contracted malaria. And when we came back to South Africa, she unfortunately died. That was a big wake up call for me. Um, I read about malaria. I knew about malaria, but I must say for me, it was like, I'm a South African, there's no malaria in South Africa. And we talk very little about malaria, but I knew when I went to Zambia and Kenya and other countries, I had to have that yellow card. So when that happened, something said to me, I have to do something. And whilst I was thinking of doing something, I didn't even know where to start and what to do. I got a call from UNICEF. They were looking for a UNICEF goodwill ambassador for Africa. But they actually wanted me to do something about HIV because there was so much controversy in South Africa at the time about ARVs and all those things. So I sat there and I listened and I had encountered different people who we were told there were HIV, but I mean, there was so much stigma there. 
people will not accept, people will not want to take ARVs. There was a big problem about ARVs and uh, there was just this big whole hullabaloo about HIV. So I thought, I don't think I want to get into that. It's too political. So I listened and I got invited to go to Ethiopia. So when I got there, you know, they explained to me and I thought, okay, what does it entail to be a goodwill ambassador? And they explained to me, Bjorn, bless his soul, wherever he is, he, he passed on. And um, I told them the story of Pumzile. It was exactly six months after Pumzile's death. And I said, if I were to work as a UNICEF goodwill ambassador or getting a support from a big organization, I would like to give malaria a face because one of my musicians had died from that. And that's how it started. So in the past 16 years, just traveling to different countries, making sure that people have got their long lasting nets, people do allow people to come and do their indoor residual spraying. And that when people felt like they were sick from malaria, they would take their medication. It has made me feel very, very good to say at least walking the talk and seeing people's lives being saved. I say to, to myself, I may wanted to do something, but God knew my destiny and I was able to do the little that I have done. Hi, my name is Yvonne Chakachaka and I'm UNICEF and Rollback Malaria Goodwill Ambassador. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in the struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy, a program against social ills such as racism, socio-economic class division and gender-based violence. Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amalia Malka every week on this day at this time. We have been talking to award-winning singer, composer and humanitarian, Miss Yvonne Chakachaka. You've really had this incredible impact, touching people's lives and borrowing part of your expression, almost art as ammunition to get messages to the right people, but also using your platform to uh, combine with UNICEF and being a goodwill ambassador for malaria. In keeping with this theme, one of the other areas that you've done is that you have created your own radio program, which is in the same vein as, as this show, focusing on women, called Woman Radio. Please tell us how that came into being and how it's going. Well, thank you very much, Doc. You know, in 2014, I had this idea because I'd worked for a radio station before. But I just thought different radio stations, you know, you, you come and you talk about something and you move, you talk about something and, and, and that's it. So I thought, okay, I think I need a platform where women can go and express themselves, where women can know their limitations and accept their shortcomings, but uh, stand firm to say, this is who we are and we've got the right to be here 
and we've got a purpose. That's how Woman Radio was born. Fast forward, uh, you know, sometimes I think of so many things and I wake up at night and I write them down and some of them, I pursue them and some of them, I just leave them. So in 2018, I was invited by the Gates Foundation to go to Rwanda. There was a conference for maternal health. So I went with one of my friends, Bonnie uh, Ramayila, and I said, you know, this is what I've always wanted to do. So he said, she said to me, okay, talk about it. So just what I, uh, I've been uh, telling you, I thought, you know, there's a need for a woman registration where women would just uh, do everything from the producer being a woman, the technician being a woman, the compiler being a woman, everything, just a, a space where women can just say, this is our space. We are in control and um, we want to do things. And she looked at me, she said, you know, women fight when they are together. I said, that's that. You want them to understand each other, learn from one another, tolerate one another and say things that they would not say when there's a male. So that's how Woman Radio was born. Because we are not a commercial registration, we're a social enterprise and a, um, an advocacy registration. This is what I call. We then tried to get funding. It was very difficult. Eventually, we got a little bit of funding. Thank you to DBSA. And uh, Woman Radio is up and running. So we work with young people. We work with women. They are the technicians. They do everything. So it's a platform where we promote women's music from all walks of life, from the whole Africa. We do play men, but those who would sing good about women, who will appreciate women. So we've got different programs, you know, on Woman Radio, from what's on her mind to On the Couch, which is my program, from the other, we've got, you know, uh, transgender on our radio station. So it's about tolerance. It's about respect. It's about saying we are not here to judge anybody. I think for us, it's um, our business is not to judge anybody, but to bring in all women, learn from one another, stand firm, know why we're here, and to say this is our radio station and we're going to bring out our voices without mocking any man, without putting anybody down, but saying this is our place and this is our safe space and it's a movement of women. I think that it's a great platform and a way of being able to showcase the voices of women, the stories of women, what we need to hear, what we want to hear. And being in this environment and, and set up, um, completely concur with what you've said. Well, yeah, uh, I must say, um, it just makes me so happy when I see all these young people coming into the office, going into the studio. Our youngest anchor is 14 years old. Her program is called Youth-ish. She talks about the problem that youth people have. And it's just so interesting to us, you know, seeing these beautiful young ladies just coming. And it just makes me so happy because I learn from them as well, you know, but here... There are no limits. And um, obviously, language is very important. But they say it as it is. They talk about their problems. They talk about the opportunities. So we unleash their potential here to be able to say anything without feeling being judged or ostracized 
or limitations. On Women Radio, there's absolutely no limitation. Well, we love the sound of that and the safe space that you've created for people to share and collaborate. We're unfortunately running out of time, which is always a challenge. But <laughs> as we close out today, please, can you share a few words of inspiration or wisdom that you'd like to pass on to girls and women in the continent who are listening to us? Um, I just want to say thank you very much to, to you first and um, this channel that you've given me the platform you could have chosen anybody else. But um, I'm just grateful that I'm alive to start with. You know, COVID has been a big problem or a big challenge. You know, we've lost loved ones. Companies have shut down. People have lost their jobs. I know people committed suicide because they could not afford their homes, you know, their, their cars and all sorts of things. So, but I'm just grateful for the life. I think COVID has really taught us that um, we are human and we are vulnerable as well. And um, that we should be grateful. You know, when COVID started, a radio station called me and did an interview. And I said, this is time for us to showcase our Ubuntu. And this person said, why? I said, we don't know where we're going. We don't know how long is this going to take. But this really humbles you to even know who your neighbor is, whether they've had something to eat or what. You know, in the townships where most of our people live, we know each other, we know one another. But in the birds, people don't care for one another. You don't even know who your neighbor is. But I think there's a lot that um, COVID has showed us because we ended up, all of us, even those who had money, they couldn't travel, they couldn't go anywhere. We were all kept in one place and we were made to be here. So it shows that uh, we are all so vulnerable and we need to love and appreciate each other and uh, appreciate and respect the space we are in and appreciate the environment because, you know, obviously, Whatever happened, it's like we don't care for this environment and, and, and the planet. So the planet obviously would get upset as well. But I want to say, you know, like I said from the beginning, we all need each other. Every woman does need a man and every man needs a woman. So there's no one who's better than anyone. And those who are same sex, you know, relationships as well, we are all God's children. God doesn't have stepchildren. It's his business to judge, not us. So it's all about human rights. It's all about respecting the cultures. It's all about respecting each other. And it's all about all of us saying we were born with nothing. And when we die, we take absolutely nothing with us. Very poignant words. As always, it's a pleasure chatting to you and thank you for coming back onto our channel eight years since we first met officially. Thank you very much for calling on me, as you said, eight years later and you still look as beautiful as possible. And this program has stood all the test of time and uh, it's still growing, growing strong. Thanks to you and everyone on this channel. 
You have been listening to Womanity, Woman and Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to award-winning singer, composer, and humanitarian, Miss Yvonne Chaka Chaka.